Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits in HR. We've been fielding a ton of questions surrounding COVID-19 on a myriad of topics, including furloughs, the Families First Act, unemployment benefits. I mean, you name it, the questions are coming fast and furious. And um, But, you know, one thing that, that I don't think we are talking enough about, at least from my perspective, and in my opinion, is the, the mental health of our employees. And this is always important in my mind, and One Digital is always doing our best to sort of push this agenda and make sure that we're thinking holistically of our health. But, you know, as many of us are working remotely and working extended hours and uh, to help those in need and employees and employers and HR managers need to be thinking about how you can support your employees navigating through this pandemic. It, it's just, I think, particularly important that we, that we start talking about uh, mental health. And we're going to start now. So it, it's my pleasure to welcome Mehdi Spies, global workplace mental health expert, award-winning keynote speaker, and you're going to see why in a minute, uh, and the founder of A World Without Suicide, which is just a such a phenomenal organization and uh look it up and support it so to the podcast today we have we on the podcast today we've got Maddie with us and she's going to help us do a deep dive into this subject of workplace mental health and, and the mental health of our employees and our own mental health so uh Maddie, how you doing i am well thank you for having me uh, it's really our pleasure thanks so much for being on the on the podcast and it's very timely as i mentioned so you know if you don't mind let's Let's jump right in. And I guess the first question I've got is, you know, what what can employers do to support employee mental health during a, a crisis, a very challenging time, such as the one we're in right now? I have a few thoughts on that based upon what our clients have found helpful, particularly in these last couple of, couple of very challenging weeks. The first that I think is, is paramount is clear, transparent mass communication that keeps top of mind available support that's available for employees. So this is definitely not the time for saying things like no comment, but in times of crisis, it's an opportunity for leaders to build trust within their teams and really to secure workplace cohesiveness. So that's one way that clear, transparent communication, um, daily or weekly check-ins, opportunities for social connection hours, and that doesn't even necessarily need to be during work time, but an optional off work time where employees can share their family members or their fur babies and just get a chance to connect on a personal level. Um, also offering on-demand resources that speak to the needs of your population. So whether it's mental health, whether it's about safe substance use, um, stress relief exercises, et cetera. Those are all opportunities that can support now that we're making these changes day by day. Great advice. Uh, happy to say a lot of that, if not all of it, are things that our office has been doing since we started working from home a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, so we're on the right track, and hopefully that's some advice that uh, listeners can take right away if they haven't already. We know right now because of the coronavirus, there are unfortunately employers that are having to uh, maybe furlough some of their employees or worse yet, even lay folks off more permanently. So do you have advice for employers to how to, you know, some things that they could do to, to kind of ease that landing for people or, or advice that you could give on how to be operating in, in a time of a downsizing or needing to let people go? Sure. I'm, I'm happy to give a thought on that 
being in this situation is traumatic and difficult for the employer or the executive staff that has to to make these tough decisions and also the valued employees and families that are so strongly affected. Is it all possible if the employer can continue access to essential resources like employee assistance program or perhaps other internal resources or benefits that they offer for uh, in a period of time during the layoff period, that can be so helpful to help that employee and their family navigate this new challenging time that they're in. Great advice. I'm assuming they, it, it would also be helpful for them to acknowledge to the employees who, who, who are still there and still working and who have not been let go or furloughed that that creates stress on them as well, right? And they, they've got mm. to communicate, the, they, they should communicate resources such as the AP and other resources to the, to the remaining employees too, right? Without question, absolutely. And this can circle back to what we talked about with that clear communication. This is the mm. time where you want to be transparent and be completely honest and say, you know, this is a, a tough time for all of us. And you, you know, may have to carry more of a workload now that we are downsizing our team members. So know that that you're valued. We will continue investing in you, in your health and wellness. And that means providing these resources to you. Please use them. We want you to be safe and well. Right. Awesome. Last time we connected, Nettie, um, we were at uh, our workplace mental health uh, well-being, mental well-being event, which was back in September, and um, it, which was awesome, by the way. You did a great job, uh, and thank you for that. Since then, uh, you've used your your proven voice, value, vigilance, workplace mental health approach with, with several of our clients. So can you kind of share a little bit about that approach and what results our clients have achieved through it? Sure, sure, absolutely. That was such a great event and it was actually on World Suicide Prevention Day. So that was just so awesome that we were able to, to honor and celebrate that together. So I'll speak to each of the voice value vigilance steps briefly so listeners can utilize them within their organization. And then I'll share the results of the last one digital client I was able to work with before everything went remote, which was uh, DATCO, a transportation company. So the first step is to effectively and comfortably address mental health at work by creating a stigma-free culture of voice. So employees are comfortable talking about mental health in the workplace in an appropriate way. So an example would be educating all managers on how to properly respond to employee health disclosures or um, a disclosure of an employee who is in crisis, whether that's mental health or suicidal crisis raise awareness on stigma-free inclusive language to use in the workplace, which often employees don't know. So that's a, a great area of awareness and education. Um, also creating effective awareness and education campaigns that really resonates with your uh, employee population is all in that voice step. Uh, 
The second step, value, is about valuing employee mental health safety equal to physical health safety in the workplace. And that's one of our proactive steps. So we look at strategies to equalize that treatment, but also to support employee mental well-being to reduce the risk of burnout, which we know is a real concern for a lot of employees and especially some high-risk industries. That final step is support vigilance. So that's where we train uh, leaders or managers at any level to know how to safely identify and respond in times of crisis, whether that's mental health, substance abuse, or suicidal crisis. So we make sure that they have all of those um, best practice crisis intervention skills. And I'll share DATCO's, just a few of DATCO's results, which were absolutely outstanding. Um, and I'll share, these came forth via uh, confidential pre and post training assessments. They um, opened up a certified our mental health and safety training at their yearly managers meeting. So there was about 50 managers on site. And um, the pre-training assessment showed that 14% of their staff were aware of stigma-free, inclusive language to use. Post-training, 100% felt comfortable with their knowledge and use of stigma-free language. So that was an increase of 571%. The other uh, phenomenal results we saw. These were assessed using a 1 to 10 confidence scale. So 1 being no confidence whatsoever and 10 being completely confident or expert level. So the DATCO leaders increased their knowledge of leadership strategies to support employee mental health um, by a significant percent. Pre-training only 6% of their staff rated themselves as a 7 or above. Post-training, it was 91%, which was almost a 1,400% increase. So that was absolutely fantastic. To wow. See. Yeah, that's astonishing. Wow. Yes, they were a phenomenal group to work with. Can you talk a little bit more about stigma-free language? What, is, what does that mean? Sure. Do you have examples of that? Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Happy to. So... As examples, oftentimes when we're speaking about physical illnesses, we use a verbiage such as, and I'll just, I'll use a fictitious uh, name. So Susan has cancer or Susan is in treatment for cancer. But let's say Susan has bipolar disorder. It's common to say Susan is bipolar or um or Susan is an alcoholic versus Susan lives with bipolar disorder or Susan is in treatment for alcoholism. So one way to do that is really to separate the person from the illness. And oftentimes it's uh, common to lump them together when it's relating to an addiction or mental health condition. The other is to break some of those stereotypical over-exaggeration um, uh, verbiage that is just common in our vernacular, like crazy or, um, you know, they're so bipolar if you're talking about somebody that's indecisive as an example. Um, so those are just a, a few 
easy tweaks that can be utilized. Also, not using the verbiage committed suicide, using the verbiage died by suicide. That helps remove the shame surrounding the topic, and it helps support survivors who have lost someone they've cared about to suicide. So it's very nuanced differences there, but, but you could see how it would make a world of difference to somebody who is, you know, living with a, a, a behavioral health, mental health uh, condition, um, and, and particularly someone who, who has known someone uh, who, uh, in, in how we show our empathy, which actually kind of, you know, sort of brings me to another question I have around suicide, which is, it, it, would I be right in assuming that suicide, the, the number of suicides increases when we as a society are going through some sort of a crisis such as the one that we're going through right now? Is that true? So it's interesting because in some cases we've seen with national tragedies and in certain countries, suicide rates actually go down in a few instances. And the suicidologists hypothesized that it was because in certain national tragedies, uh, countries really came together in times like they've never seen before. So one of the, the main risk factors for suicide is feeling alone and feeling hopeless. But in mm. some ways, a tragedy unites populations, and that can be a very strong protective factor. Now, in situations like this, that we're isolated, we're not able to have that human face-to-face -face connection, that's absolutely a risk factor, um, not to mention that many employees that are used to working outside the home, and they're not also caretaking for children while they're trying to work, that stress is significantly higher and they can turn to um, a variety of substances like alcohol, drugs, et cetera, if they don't have natural healthy coping skills. So that absolutely increases suicidal risk. I mean, it's not, you know, suicide is just one of the, one of the issues that we deal with, right? I mean, I, the, the, so the, the vigilance that that you're training folks at DACO and other organizations is 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 important, not just around identifying folks who might be suicidal, but just dealing with any kind of you know anxiety and, and and depression and any sort of mental health issues. And it's that vigilance seems to be you know more important now than than ever, I guess. So I, I, that leads to another question, which is how does an HR team? Sometimes an HR team will say, "Hey, that's great. You know, I I want to focus on." Uh, the mental health of our employees, and you've got HR teams and wellness leaders in an organization, and, and but they say, hey, how do I how do I get our leadership, the C-suite, to buy into addressing and maybe even investing in this very mm -hmm. critical area of our of our overall health? Mm -hmm. I have a few thoughts on this. Uh, so you stop me if I'm giving too many thoughts, Jeff. You just say, you know. Nope. <laughs> uh, so I'll share what we have found to be helpful. So first, uh, that I think isn't being done enough, but can be very helpful for uh, executive leaders or C-suite that aren't fully invested in wellness, period, let alone mental health. I would suggest positioning mental health as a safety priority, not just a wellness goal. Uh, 
Because at the end of the day, if employees are struggling with mental health issues and uh, they're driving trucks, they're operating uh, heavy machinery, they need to have their mental faculties with them. Um, or, I mean, the incidents not only in, in things like workplace violence, but things like workplace um, injuries, et cetera, increases significantly. So this is really a safety priority. And, I, I've talked with a lot of executive teams, many of whom didn't subscribe to wellness, but I've never talked to one uh, executive team that didn't see their employee safety as a priority. Right. So that's one thought there. The other would be to really share with executive leaders what the dollars and cents cost is of not addressing and supporting employee mental health, yeah. such as, um, reduce productivity, increase absenteeism, uh, staff turnover due to burnout, uh, just as a few examples. Also, sharing the benefits of supporting mental health. So there are um, company ROI case studies out there, I'm sure are, are available through One Digital. Our organization has them available that you can download and share. Um, Bell Communications, it's, it's a corporation out of Canada. They have one of the best ROI case studies I've seen. So I encourage you to, or listeners, to check their cost savings out, which was significant. About uh, $4 saving for every dollar invested in employee mental health support. I know along the, the, the just the pure numbers line, I'll, I'll just add that, you know, the, the studies vary, but it's pretty it's pretty well documented that the total healthcare cost uh, of someone who has a, uh, a behavioral health issue condition and is not being properly treated for it is over three times the cost of someone uh, uh, of someone else who's not dealing with it. So the, the total cost of, so everyone's, Physical, so there's a physical health connection with the behavioral health connection as well, I guess, that I would also point to um, for those who are really just dollars oriented. Absolutely. But, I could not agree with you more. You, know, you mentioned burnout, Medi. So I, I don't know if you can share with us some of, some of the signs of, of someone who might be dealing with burnout and, you know, talk about the fact that it's a real thing, right? It's not mm. just... You know, we shouldn't just say, oh, mm -hmm. suck it up, you know, come on, we're all working hard. You know, talk a little bit more about that if you could. Sure. So there are definite differences between stress and burnout. So, you know, to some degree, we all have stress and a certain amount is positive for motivation and getting things done, et cetera. But mm. if it's getting to the point where it's chronic stress to um, the point where, um, you almost feel like you're drowning, that you can't get out of it, that regardless of where you're at physically, your mind can't get off work. You can't get off your to-do list. Um, if you have a, you know, eight plus hours night sleep, but you wake up utterly exhausted, that is a major warning sign as well. So, you know, there's... And and what about if you're a coworker or a supervisor or manager though? What what behaviors might you see or or 
what are some behaviors or some things that folks who are deal who are actually dealing with burnout might do or say? Are, are there are there warning signs that we can observe from other people? Flags to to tune into. Sure. So things such as oftentimes when people are, are chronically sleep deprived or chronically exhausted, they're very disheveled in appearance. Um, their mental recall is going who, you know, used to be um, a, a top performer and now they're slipping performance wise. They, you know, look and, and feel and, and act utterly exhausted. Or maybe they're giving verbal warning signs such as saying things like, I'm drowning and I don't know how I'm ever going to get through this, or I just don't feel like I can go on anymore, is another common uh, burnout statement. Those are all red flags to tune into and connect and, and see, inquire about their well-being. See if you can be of support. Um, asking mm -hmm. how can I support you is one of the best questions you can ask someone who may be struggling. So it's okay. I, I guess people have to be um, know that they have permission to to have that conversation, right? You're saying it's okay to if you if you notice that a coworker or 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 someone who works for you just seems off or in some ways showing signs of distress, that it's it's okay for us to say, and actually not okay, but we should. Well, so I say, hey. Are you okay, right? What, like, what, what exactly should we say or do in that instance? Great question. So, there's definitely some do's and don'ts when approaching this because it's a sensitive topic. So, let's yeah. cover some of these. So, one would be Jeff. You said it perfectly. So, you know, I noticed you haven't quite been yourself lately. Are you okay? That's completely appropriate. Now, let's talk about a don't. A don't would be not mentioning any specific medical condition. So as an example, you've seemed really depressed lately. We're, we're, if, if you're not that person's cl clinician, don't bring up a specific symptom or a specific medical condition. Make it a more vague inquiry. If you're concerned about that person's safety, so let's say they're giving some of those strong verbal warning signs, or you're a leader and a peer of that employee who's struggling mentioned, hey, during lunch, um, uh, Jim mentioned that he has a plan to harm himself. If safety is a concern, then it's completely appropriate in to connect with him, and I can walk through the specifics if it would be helpful, but to ask a more direct question, such as, are you considering harming yourself, or even are you considering suicide, if the situation warrants it? Yeah, so I, that, that, I, I'm glad you answered the question before I asked it, which is, if someone really seems to be in crisis, I mean, can you can you suggest to somebody, hey, I I, I think you need to Maybe you need to, to to call a hotline or call EAP or or something like that. Like, what do we what do we do or say if really somebody seems to be truly in crisis in the workplace? Well, keep in mind, um, I have a full training on this. So if if listeners want to learn more, I have a digital training. Um, yep. Now that live isn't an option, so they can they can go through. There's actually six steps when you're intervening, but okay. let's. Say, let's give an example of now they might be supporting a remote employee. So now it's even more of a challenge. Instead of being able to be next to the person and say, 
you know, let's say you did hear that they, there's a suicidal concern. You could take them to a private office, share your concern and say, are you open to reaching out to our employee assistance program or the national lifeline that's available at no cost? Um, you may get a no, you may get a yes. And I'm happy to, to run through what to do in those scenarios if that would be helpful. But also wanting to mention, because this came up um, recently with an employer that reached out, their concern was an employee who was abusing substances now that he's working from home and clients are picking up on it. They had a fear that he was at risk for harming himself. So if it gets to that point, you may, as a leader, need to dispatch emergency services to the person's home if it's at that level of concern. If it is a challenging time such as this and uh, an employee mentions, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my kids and an aging parent, there's just a lot of stress right now. It's completely appropriate to say, hey, you know, you're more than welcome and, and don't forget that we have this resource available within our company. There's this national resource and this local resource. Do you want me to send you those or, or do you want me to get those to you by end of day so you have them uh, if needed? That's completely appropriate. You know, so we talked earlier about the, the need uh, when we're all kind of working remotely and we've got this sort of new normal we're trying to deal with to stay in touch uh, through video meetings and conferences and even some social engagements via Skype or Zoom or, or whatever uh, communication you can use so that we can maybe, so, because if we're not staying in touch in that way, we're not gonna be able to identify those, see those signs and, 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 hear, and see those warning bells of people who are perhaps um, you know, going through a particularly difficult time, right? Absolutely. So video is a great alternative if possible. Um, sometimes though, even over the phone, you can almost hear that tone of voice change and some of that uh, red flag verbiage that we talked about can be picked up even in a, a telephone call. Sometimes just having somebody, you know, give you that phone call just to say, hey, how you doing? I just want to check in and see how you're doing. That, that in and of itself can be pretty impactful, right? Absolutely, without question. Mehdi, um, uh, May, I believe, is uh, Mental Health Month. Is that correct? It is. So April is Stress Management Month, and oh. May is Mental Health Month. So we actually have two big months coming up. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you about May, Mental Health Month. Um, and and specifically, so what are some ways that employers can can honor the month? Uh, whether this is their first step in addressing mental health or maybe they already have programs in place. So what are some things that maybe you would love to see employers do in the month of May? There's a, a few ways to, to honor the month that we have seen to have the greatest impact. So if you're listening and we talked about some things that you think our managers or our leaders don't know, such as identifying warning signs or proactively supporting mental well-being or safely responding in crisis, if the answers are, are 
our managers don't know that, then I would highly encourage you take the opportunity in May or even April to educate uh, managers, whether that's digitally or live. God willing, we'll get there again. I, I hope we can can get face to face again. Uh, but that's that's an opportunity, and and that's a great way to make sure that managers are comfortable and confident, and not feeling uncomfortable or adding stigma to the topic. The other opportunity is to offer support resources uh, in ways to engage employees on this topic, uh, whether it's an education or awareness campaign, um, challenges, um, you know, getting creative with how can you address this in a way that will deeply resonate with your employee population. Great. Great. So I I do since you mentioned April being stress uh what is it stress management month April? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do do you have uh, I don't, I don't, you don't need to give away too many secrets I guess but uh and, and a couple couple of things couple of recommendations or strategies for stress management that you can that you can share with us mm -hmm. that maybe we can share with our employees. Sure. So the thing about stress management is I find that it's very personable. So what works for in relief stress for one person might not necessarily be the, the best stress reliever for a next, you know, the next person. So anything and especially now, uh, any fresh air that you can get uh, out in nature um, or planting something, you know, getting your hands into creating something is largely beneficial to reducing anxiety, stress, cortisol, and increasing some of those, quote, happy hormones. Um, art therapy, music therapy, exercise, uh, even if you, you know, that's not your favorite, finding something that you like, whether it's, you know, walking, um, uh, you know, at-home workouts that are being streamed now through a variety of, of uh, venues and, and resources. So those are just a few common ones to keep in mind. But I think something that's important is if you try something and you're like, you know what, honestly, I hated that. That's okay. You know, experiment with a few things and find what works best for you. I mean, that's a great point, though, which is, you know, we work when you're working, so many people now are, have, have, you know, we're working from home and it's like you have this, maybe you roll out of bed and boom, you're right on your laptop and you're not even, you're still in your pajamas. And next thing you know, it's, you know, it's one o'clock and yet, I mean, yet, we do have to take the time. We have to take a break every, every, every once in a while and, and get away from it, walk away from it. To your point, if you get some fresh air, fantastic. Move the body, put your body in motion. I mean, it's important for people to take some time to refresh throughout the day. I could not agree with you more. Except anyone who works for me, they have to work. <laughs> that was a joke, <laughs> listeners. If you can't see his face, he was definitely joking. If if they listen regularly, they know they could uh, that they can't take me seriously all the time. Maddie, uh, is there anything we missed? Anything that you want to kind of share with our listeners uh, that we didn't talk about yet? 
we covered quite a bit, uh, everything that I was, I was hoping we would touch on. But I want to let listeners know that if there is a question that we didn't get to, they always have your amazing one digital staff to reach out to. They can connect with me through stigmafreeworkplace.com. So there, there's help and support available and to not hesitate to reach out. If one of these topics resonated and you thought, hey, I want to learn more about this, take this as an opportunity to, to reach out and learn more. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for offering that up. And, and the big takeaway for me is we got to take care of one another, check on one another, mm-hmm. be there for one another, and, and ask, hey, how you doing? Uh, it's very important now more than ever. So listen, before we go, Maddie, uh, we mm-hmm. always ask our guests, a few rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so you, you willing to do that with us? I'm up for it. Okay. Not that you really had a choice, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready? Ready, ready, ready. All right. Okay. Cats or dogs? Definitely dogs. All right. Favorite band? That's a tough one. I'll go with who I'm listening to right now the most, which is Laura Daigle. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Ah, I actually think about this a lot. It would be the ability to sleep anywhere, regardless of what's going on, airplanes, trains, whatever it is, to just be able to sleep on a dime. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Just talk to my 22-year-old son. He might be able to give you some (laughs) advice there. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? I can't imagine anything else, but what my schooling was for was epidemiology um, with corporate wellness. So I guess epidemiologist. Oh, well, that's interesting. And lastly, uh, the one at One Digital, we kind of got a theme this year, which is being bold. And so mm. what does that mean to you? What does being bold mean to you? Oh, that's such a great question. Being bold to me is about not being afraid to be vulnerable and share your gifts with the world in service of other people. Love that. All right. Well, thank you, Mehdi, so much for joining us today. This topic is one that has uh, for sure been top of mind for a lot of us recently as we switch to this, you know, so-called new normal of social distancing, remote work dealing with all the repercussions of COVID-19. I really hope this was helpful for those employers who who do need guidance in supporting your employees through this tough time, and especially for when we all do uh, return to our normal routines. If you like this episode, leave a review. And as always, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when the next episode drops. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, everybody.